welcome to episode 61 of the Tech Done Right podcast, Table XI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. Our guests this week are Andrew Means of Data Analysts for Social Good and Sean Marcia of Ruby for Good. Both of them run organizations that are involved with using technology to help nonprofits that could use even some simple software or data assistance. We'll talk about what kinds of work their organizations do, how nonprofits differ from for-profit work, how they try to keep their projects running over time, and how you can get involved working with technology for good. Before we start the show, one quick message. TableXI offers training for developer and product teams. If you want me to come to your place of business and run an interactive hands-on workshop, I would like to do that. We can help your developer team learn topics like testing or Rails and JavaScript or managing legacy code. Or we can help your entire product team improve their agile process. Also, if you're in the Chicago area, be on the lookout for our new public workshops, including our How to Buy Custom Software workshop, which is currently scheduled for the first week of June and hopefully more to come. For more information, email us at workshops at tablexi.com or find us on the web at tablexi.com slash workshops. And now here's the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody, starting with Andrew? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Andrew Means. I am the founder of the Good Tech Fest uh, that I'll be talking about, which is a tech for good um, conference happening in Chicago this May. And Sean. Hey, also, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm Sean. I created uh, Ruby for Good and Code for Good. And I hope everyone comes. We're doing our Ruby for Good in July. And we're actually going to be doing another one in Chicago in the autumn. So hopefully we'll see you all there. So the reason I have both of you on is that both of you are involved in for good projects. How would you describe it? Tech and public service? Is tech for good a generic enough description? How would you describe the mission of your, uh, the shared mission of your events? I think tech for good works as a nice uh, wrapper in all encompassing kind of term. I mean, in my mind, it really is just about how can we utilize uh, technology and, and I actually have done a lot in the data science world. How can we utilize these tools in service of some sort of social mission? Uh, something that's typically thought of within the nonprofit sphere, philanthropy, or government. Like, how do we solve the problems that those institutions care about using data and technology? So, I guess the fr- the place to start, or a place to start, is what made each of you see this as an important need that people who are not necessarily involved in nonprofit work and technology uh, should have the opportunity to come across and do these kinds of projects. So for me, it was, I I don't even know, like maybe it was even guilt. Like uh, I feel as developers, we, we have it pretty good. Like I'm not even on LinkedIn and I'm getting contacted like multiple times a week by recruiters, people trying to give me jobs. And uh, you know, like the rest of the country doesn't really, uh, uh, live necessarily in, in our world. And so, I don't know, I guess I just wanted uh, a way to to help and give back. For me, it's been a little bit of a different path. Um, I've actually spent my entire career working in the kind of for good world, both within nonprofits, uh, think groups like the YMCA, but then also running like corporate foundations, like at uptake.org. And so I, I've always been really interested in social change and how we can make a difference in the world. And, and for me, I came to data and technology as a really interesting and effective way for solving the problems that I cared about. And so for me, I'm like fully baked in the, the kind of tech for good world. 
How long have you each been running these events? And the generic term is escaping me, I suppose. But how long have you each been running these groups? So I started a group called Data Analysts for Social Good probably about eight or nine years ago now, uh, where I was working at the YMCA as their first data analyst uh, and then was the director of research and analytics and was like, there's got to be other people like me. Um, And so I just started a happy hour here in Chicago um, with other analysts working kind of in the for good space. Um, And it kind of grew from there. I actually ended up starting a conference called Do Good Data. I ran that for a number of years. Um, And then uh, just last year, I started Good Tech Fest, really with the idea that um, data alone isn't enough. Like, let's talk about what are the products, what are the experiences that we, and the tools that we can create that can actually help us solve the problems that we care about. So this is really actually just our second year doing Good Tech Fest. Right. And yeah, for me, it was back pretty much as soon as I started learning Rails, I was uh, like helping organizations. So I guess this goes back to about 2011. And then uh, like Ruby for Good started about seven years ago. I was meeting with this nonprofit I was going to help. And like, it's a story I like to tell. I was in there and they, uh, you know, I was going to help them build like something to track volunteers. But like while I was in their office, they had this telephone that was ringing and ringing. And I couldn't figure out why no one was answering this phone. And it turned out that this phone was like their ticket tracking system. Like people were calling in to leave messages and retrieve messages. And like often they had to fast forward through like 70 or 80 messages to find the one they wanted. And like this was their business practice and, you know, like built them like a simple kind of crud app and then saving them like 80, 90 hours a month. I think that's actually a really interesting story. And I've seen so many nonprofits, Sean, like the one you were talking about, that it's like the these little like sometimes kind of boring problems that are actually hugely impactful. Um, and to be able to save an organization like that 80, 90 hours a month, I mean, it's huge. Uh, that's 80 or 90 hours that can now go towards something more mission oriented. Oh, I, I agree. And and just like the, the whole fact when I was uh, speaking to them, like they hadn't even thought that this was a problem. Like, like they just internalized this issue and, and like, in, even though they'd had all these business practices built up around it and how you couldn't delete a message until the job was done and like all these kind of crazy things that, right. And, and it was such a, such a small lift to make such a big difference. Yeah. So, I mean, I've only, I've worked a little bit with nonprofits, but I have seen the case where like they don't even realize sometimes what even a small amount of technology can do for them. What do you do to sort of gather possible projects for your groups to even take on? Sean, Ruby for Goods, like a hackathon, like do people come in with projects to pick or do you reach out to nonprofits to find out what might be valuable? Right. So like, so I, I don't really like the word hackathon. I kind of like code retreat kind of for good. Uh, I kind of think like hackathon is one of those words that kind of like the toxic elements of our community have like co-opted. That's fair. We can reclaim it though. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to rec- reclaim it. But uh, with our events, like we know the projects we're going to be working on, like come the event, like, and we've started uh, like discovery and whatnot. Like we pick like team leads for each project and we put them in touch with like the nonprofits we're going to be helping about two months before the event. And, uh, and like, we have a whole kind of like script for them, like, like checklists and things they're doing and like questions that they should be asking, creating GitHub repo, like kind of the first kind of issues, just so when we do get to the event that, you know, they can really hit the ground running. And as well too, like we invite like the nonprofit stakeholders to the event. So like they're there and like they're, we're building the best possible thing and solving their actual problem. 
How do you get in touch with the nonprofits? In the early years, it was kind of just like us, maybe even like cold calling some nonprofits or like reaching out like on Twitter and Facebook, like kind of social media, like to like to our extended networks, like who volunteers, like who knows somewhere that could help us or who could use our help. But like now that we're we're more established and like we we've helped uh, quite a few nonprofits and we, we have some like larger projects too. Like we have one helping uh, diaper banks and it's being used by over 50 diaper banks uh, across the country. And like they talk about us to other nonprofits. And so it's a lot of like referral now. So it's not really us looking for projects to help. We actually have more than we can even help now, which is both a good and a bad problem. Um, Andrew, how do you work with the people whose problems you're trying to sell? Yeah. So at the conference, Good Tech Fest, really, it's a chance for organizations to showcase the work that they're doing. Uh, We have great organizations like 412 Food Rescue, who's um, using really interesting mobile technologies to uh, try and get food to food banks more efficiently and effectively. Um, So we really view the conference as a chance to to highlight organizations that are doing great work. But outside that, you know, the work that I'm, I'm involved in in the broader tech for good space, it's a lot of it is finding the right people, the right leaders who have a vision for how technology can really help move their mission forward and, and finding out, quite frankly, in the nonprofit space, oftentimes the right funders who have a vision and a passion for supporting uh, the use of data and technology. A lot of what I spend my time doing is trying to you know, find the right interesting problems where data and technology can actually help move the needle on the issue. Finding funders who are interested in that space or interested in the use of data and technology and then finding the right technologists and data scientists and others who have the capabilities necessary to solve that problem. So it's a lot of matchmaking um, that goes on. You know, like Sean said, once you've done it for a little while uh, in this space, word travels fast. Um, there's a lot of organizations that are looking for help. And so I, I don't think that there's always much of a challenge finding problems. It's much more about how quickly can you scale to address the number of, of opportunities that you have. So what's a problem that you've worked on recently where you've been able to be more specific about the sort of general process that you laid out? What's a, a recent project that you've worked on? So right now, one of the projects that I'm working on is trying to create a, a stitched together experience of a few different technologies um, for what are called like collective impact groups. These are groups of nonprofits that all are working towards the same problem or working in the same area um, and want to work more closely together. So, you know, in a city like Chicago, you have dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of after school programs, all trying to address oftentimes the same issues, um, but having challenges to share data with one another, having challenges to truly collaborate with one another, to do collaborative sense making of data of, of their community. And so I'm working with some funders Um, some foundations and uh, some of these collective networks on what are the tools that they need to better collaborate. And so this includes bringing in the data sharing component, um, organizations uh, like Bright Hive uh, that provide like legal governance and technical infrastructure to do data integration work um, and, and that kind of important piece. Um, and then it's bringing in tools sometimes, you know, working with Salesforce on some of this project of some of their technologies around communities and social networks and how they can actually share information uh, and collaborate with one another on projects. So that's like a really kind of infrastructure oriented project, which is a lot of what I'm involved in right now, but is stitching together a number of different existing technologies so that these kind of networks can more effectively share information and collaborate. 
Sean, what's a good example of the kind of project that Ruby for Good tackles? I don't think there's a specific one. Like obviously our strength as like uh, Ruby Rails developers, like it's web applications. So like anything kind of uh, database backend, JavaScript front end, but the, the diaper bank application I was, I was mentioning, like that's, that's a good one. It's an inventory management system for diaper banks and pretty much handles their problem from beginning to end, like barcode scanning, inventory distributions, all this, all this kind of goodness that they need. In that case, they have, I assume, like a specific reason why off-the-shelf uh, solutions don't quite work. Right. Like, like, so, like, one, like, there isn't, a, like, specific software for them. Like, when we started talking to, like, initially, we built this for a single diaper bank, uh, the Portland Diaper Bank. And, like, she came to us and she showed it off to some other diaper banks. And, uh, and like, they all kind of wanted it. And they were all using, like, very, like, uh, disparate solutions, like some Excel spreadsheets, some using just inventory off-the-shelf uh, software that, you know, didn't quite, you know, like just, they, they make it work, but it's not what they need. And so, right. So we build them customizable custom software for them that uh, like fits their need. And like this project is actually kind of exciting because like the big national diaper network in the U S is actually getting behind our software and recommending that all diaper banks use it. So potentially by the, by the end of the year, there's going to be 200 plus using this. So it's kind of, kind of an exciting uh, project. Yeah. I, I wonder what the amount of the sheer amount of overloaded Excel spreadsheets in use throughout the nonprofit world is, <laughs> do you find that there are then issues with like ongoing, first of all, like initial management and second of all, like ongoing maintenance and repair as you had the, like, I know that there's an, there's some organizations in Chicago that try to connect like bootcamp graduates to nonprofits. And, and from having talked to some of the developers involved that it, it, those often seem to sort of founder on project management kind of issues. And I've also seen cases where software goes into government or nonprofit areas and nobody's there to like, keep it going. Do you, see that problem and and are you able to address it or is that outside the purview of like the kinds of interactions that you're doing yeah so so for us it's like like that's definitely like a, a challenge and because like when we build something like we we commit to uh maintaining it and like upgrading it but like like finding contributors isn't actually a, a problem really for us anymore because like the Ruby kind of for good name has like as as we've grown like people are aware of us and so when we post issues in our you know various github projects people jump on them pretty quick and for whatever reason we have a lot of people in this community uh, that are just super awesome and they they want to be involved in these projects like like being like team leads and like project leads like actually like that diaper project we've tried to cycle the the person off of it who's like the the project lead but he you know, he refuses because he just, you know, he believes in it so much. And so I guess just like any open source project, like finding maintainers uh, is like is a challenge. But like, I think just like the like the social good aspect makes it maybe a little less hard for for us than other open source projects, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's great, Sean. And, and I think I've seen places that don't have that kind of ongoing commitment to a project. That's where I often see the challenges because, you know, I think you're right on of previously, early in my career, I was working with the Data Science for Social Good Fellowship at a University of Chicago. And we did great, interesting work over the summer. And we you know, developed these uh, software products and algorithms and things of that nature and then handed over to a nonprofit or a government agency. And there was no one there to receive it. Right? There was no one there to maintain it. And I think having a commitment to uh, maintenance and upkeep is really important, especially as more and more 
organizations are relying on technology for critical service delivery. Like Sean, your project with the diaper banks is awesome. Um, and, and I think it's so important that with these organizations using this uh, and spreading it nationally, it's it's that commitment to ongoing maintenance and support is, is huge and necessary. Uh, and why, it's why I think too, we need to see this ecosystem grow. We need to see more funders uh, contributing capital and putting money behind organizations that are really maintaining critical systems for the nonprofit sector. Um, and so that's, you know, part of what we're trying to do with Good Tech Fest is raise the prominence of, of organizations that are doing great work in building the, the tools that the sector is increasingly relying on. Do you ever get pushback from nonprofits who feel like you are just sort of coming in and you don't really understand their problem? Or if you don't get pushback, how do you sort of mitigate that? How do you learn about their real needs in, in sort of a, a bigger picture client sense? Uh, we've never had pushback because like generally like people have a problem or they think they have a problem. But but oftentimes like like how we understand their problems is we, we try and find like volunteers, like our people to lead the teams when it's a new project, to go in and actually like meet with the uh, the nonprofits, talk to them and kind of see their their day to day. Because like the story I told earlier about like the telephone ringing and whatnot, like I wouldn't have seen that had I not been in their office and we would have just ended up building them like a volunteer hour tracking application or something like that. But by being in there, you see it. And like, and the other part is, is like, like I mentioned earlier, is that we do have stakeholder involvement, like kind of like each step of the way, like we have the stakeholders at our events, you know, sitting with teams. So like we're building them, like hopefully what they, they need. What Sean's saying around like you have to be present um, is so important. Really, you know, I spent my entire career working in this kind of like for purpose, for good space. And it still is super important for me to to see the work that's actually being done, to see the processes, to like Sean was saying, hear the phone ringing um, and being able to ask that question. Because so many organizations uh, they come to you with one need, but what they actually need is like five other things, uh, you know, that are that they don't even realize that they need, um, or there's five other opportunities that they don't even see. Um, and so, I think being able to come in with um, the eyes of being able to identify where work can be done is really important. Um, and I also think going in with a real humility is crucial. I've known a lot of nonprofit organizations that have had really challenging partnerships with corporations or, you know, volunteers coming out of the corporate sector uh, that think like, oh, if you just did X, Y, Z, or if you just did it more like us, this problem would, wouldn't exist. And nonprofits are doing things for a reason. Like they are operating to the best of their ability under constraints that they have. Um, and so going in and, and really listening and understanding their work, understanding why they work the way they do is very vitally important to building trust and, and to really understanding where data and technology can actually create the most impact. Is there a general way in which the constraints of a nonprofit are, uh, affect the project that's like materially different from working with a for-profit organization? I would say in my experience, I mean, one of the, I've gotten to work both in the for-profit world and the nonprofit world and, and seen different sides of all of this. I, I think there's, there's actually a couple primary differences. So one is just capital money that's given to a nonprofit. There's a lot of incentive for putting that directly towards the mission 
organizations are evaluated to some extent based upon a thing called the overhead ratio, which is essentially how much goes to like central office functions versus how much goes to like the problem you're trying to solve. And oftentimes technology falls into the central office kind of overhead function. And the more that an organization spends there, the less attractive they might actually be to donors. So there's a huge incentive to actually underinvest in any central office function. Um, and, and some of that's changing and there's some really good cultural transformation going on there. But, but I think that's one. And I think the second area that I often run into that's a little bit squishier, a little bit fuzzier, is the kind of people uh, that work in a nonprofit, right? A lot of people that run nonprofits today, run philanthropies or in leadership. Um, and this is changing, but I think traditionally come from human service backgrounds or, you know, they were caseworkers, they were, um, you know, social workers, they set up the food bank or they set up the diaper bank, right? And so they're coming with a very, oftentimes very human uh, services mindset, a, a very kind of social worker mindset. And they're social workers for a reason. They're not technologists, right? Um, and so I think, you know, there, there's a little bit of, of tech literacy um, that's sometimes missing in the, the nonprofit world. And that kind of tech vision uh, is sometimes missing. That said, there's a ton of really great, um, I think, emerging leaders um, that are transforming both or both older organizations and launching new ones um, that really do put tech and data at the center. And I think there's less of a, a cultural jump to those kinds of organizations. Like the the thing that we find is is often like the the second thing he was mentioning or Andrew's mentioning was the uh, like the tech literacy and but again like like we're we're seeing that just like you said that's that that is something that's changing but oftentimes you know like they are uh, nonprofits are using you know technology that isn't necessarily the most modern or the most efficient. <laughs> One thing I found, and I, I work at a consultancy that occasionally takes on nonprofit clients w- within a wide range, I would say. One thing that I found is that if the client isn't paying directly, in other words, if it's kind of a barter arrangement, there's a different relationship to their understanding of the, the value of the time in a way that's a little hard to sort of quantify, but I kind of know it when I see it that, that, that I don't know, does this make sense? Have you seen anything like this in your Absolutely. Organizations need to have skin in the game. You know, when I was first uh, working on the data science for social good fellowship program, we initially did all of our projects completely for free. Um, And we moved to a model where like we had some skin that the organization needed to put into the game, whether that was, you know, sending somebody to our site for some meetings or, or various kinds of way doesn't always need to be strictly financial. But organizations, if, they, if they're if they not putting any in of their own investment in, there is a tendency for, for other things to take priority and for the organization not, like if they're not valuing it at all, um, they're not valuing it. You know, like these are organizations that often can't pay market rates and that's fine, but we need to figure out a right way for them to say, this is important to us. We can demonstrate that importance and, and make an investment that shows that this is vital to us. And that can look like a lot of different things. What I find is that it sort of flattens the difference between a small amount of work and a large amount of work from the organization's point of view, because from the organization's point of view, they're not putting in any more resources to get more work than they are to get less work. There's just sort of a different relationship with asking for large amounts of work if they have the same sort of cost to the organization as asking for small amounts of work. You know, it's not a big problem, but it is sort of a different it's sort of uh, something that I've had to sort of adjust to, adjust the way that I present things to nonprofit clients versus for-profit clients. Um, and I was just, yeah, curious whether you had seen uh, anything similar. Sean, do you have any 
coming on that. Yeah, definitely. So, and like, like this, like in the earlier years, I think like that's, that was definitely a, a problem, like them not really understanding expectations. And so like, this has kind of evolved like for us over the years. Now we have like explicit uh, expectations. Now we sign like MOUs like uh, with our nonprofits we're working with. And we're also working right now to write up like an in-kind grant that they can apply for. Uh, like we're working with a, a lawyer to like have a in-kind grant that, that you know values the, the work we're doing at sixty-five thousand dollars. You know, so they're going to apply for this grant, receive this grant. So they have a, a concept in their head of like the value that they're receiving, as, as well as like it, it helps them because uh, like we, we found out that a lot of nonprofits when they are writing grants themselves, like for the work they do, it looks really good for them to have received other grants. And so, uh, having received our uh, you know our code for good in-kind. Uh, you know, software development grant. This will help them, you know, going forward and conceptualize things. That's really interesting, a- Andrew. Are there any sort of processes that you found to, to put in place to make the interaction between the nonprofits and the technologists work better? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, what I did was was move to a, a model where I've been able to build, you know, outside Good Tech Fest, like a business in consulting to these organizations and, and helping to do this matchmaking between funders and technologists and organizations. What Sean is talking about with the grant model, I think is a wonderful example of creating agreement and a shared understanding between organizations. But the model that I fall in is actually trying to create sustainable companies that serve the nonprofit sector and that actually say, all right, we're going to build the technology that you need and it's going to cost you something. Um, And we're trying to build a sustainable business off of that. If somebody listening to this wants to start getting involved in tech for nonprofits, tech for good, uh, where would you recommend they start? What would you recommend that they do? I would recommend they go through an existing organization like Sean or DataKind or any of these uh, kind of established volunteering organizations because so much of what makes a project successful is all of the project management and relationship management that they're doing. Definitely like find uh, find someone doing it and maybe learn from them. And then, you know, if you want to start your own, that'd be great. Or come work with one of the ones out there. What do you do or do you find that you need to recruit technologists for the work that you're doing? Or do you find that, do you find that people just come to you or do you uh, do a little bit of outreach yourself? So like we run these events and then we just kind of maintain our projects over the year. But uh, like now that like kind of there's a Ruby for good name in the community, it's, it's really, I feel like taken off like our DC event, like we tweeted on Thursday that, or like on a Thursday that registration was open and by Saturday, you know, we're sold out, which is also why we're, we're spreading to, we just did a, two weeks ago, we did a San Francisco based Ruby for good. And then in the autumn, we're going to do a, a Chicago-based one, just because there is so much demand, and there's a lot of people who want to do good. Who, you know, we want to give them the opportunity and take some of the pressure off our DC-based event. So finding people at this point isn't very difficult, but maybe if it's a new event or a new uh, thing, it might be a little bit more challenging. Are all of your the Ruby for Good projects open sourced? Yes, uh, like that. That is a like it's generally a requirement that everything is open source. We did we built one project that was uh, for. Uh, a women's shelter and it wasn't open source, but like, you know, they didn't want to advertise that this, you know, software or project existed. So it would, it's all been in private repos. Uh, I guess the, the, the second question there is, is that a way for people to participate 
if they can't make it to one of the events, can they participate in the projects as open source? Project? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like if you, if you go to the, like the Ruby for good organization on GitHub, take a look at all the, all the projects in there. Most of them are really well curated, you know, issues are all tagged, help wanted, beginner friendly, things like that. What is something that you would like to see happen in this space over the next couple of years, you know, that would be beneficial to the kind of work that you're doing? For me, I would love to see the space really mature in terms of the kinds of capital that's available to supporting tech for good projects. You know, I've been a part of capital raises for a couple tech for good companies that I've helped start. And among a lot of investors, among a lot of even philanthropists, there's not tons of dedicated capital towards supporting an ecosystem of technologies that can really transform the way that the nonprofit sector operates uh, and, and really scale those technologies. So I'd love to see that whole ecosystem mature where, you know, there's there's a little bit more capital that's helping make, you know, entice entrepreneurs to start new kinds of companies, new kinds of organizations, whether they be nonprofit or for-profit that are building the software uh, that's really integral to the future of the nonprofit sector. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if we could figure out a way to uh, make this more sustainable, like uh, the Ruby for Good, like that, that would be awesome. Uh, the other thing I'd really like to see is just like open source and and kind of like the projects that are done just to be like some way for nonprofits to be made aware of them. Because I feel that there's a lot of great open source software, a lot of great things that have been built that could just be like so helpful to so many like organizations doing good, like if they just knew about them and they could probably spend spend a lot less money on things that they're currently using and money that could be better spent uh, like helping people. Absolutely. I think the adoption of open source software, having the, the ability to really utilize it uh, would be a huge transformation for the sector. So both of you have spent a really large amount of your professional careers in this space. I guess a question I have is like, do you still get out of it what you wanted to get out of it? Like, do you still, is, is it still as satisfying and fulfilling to work on these kinds of problems as it was when you started? Absolutely. I am so excited about the kinds of projects I'm working on, the kinds of institutions that I've been able to to work with over the last almost decade doing this work. And I'm seeing real change. I'm seeing big philanthropies that weren't, you know, even considering this as a, a space for investment, really change and, and pivot and make big investments into kind of data and technology for good. I think we're seeing more nonprofits realize that they can actually have a product vision uh, that's actually really super aligned to their mission and actually helps accomplish their mission. I think we're seeing a whole new generation of leaders um, that are moving into the space and, and really transforming it. And I'm excited to see how we'll solve problems going forward. I, I, I don't think technology is the answer, but I think it's a tool that more and more organizations are using and the sector as a whole is figuring out. So I love getting to do the work that I do with the people that I get to do it with. Um, and I really feel that we're we're helping transform the way that the sector will operate in the future. That's super satisfying. Right. I, I completely agree. It's, it's just such a, such an exciting time. And I'm always just like uh, excited and blown away just seeing the, 
people who use like the things we've built and you know like the the diaper app like it started with one now there, there's so many using it and, like just so uh, so exciting and when things like that happen and these people that you you meet and you see how their lives are continuing to be affected and it just i don't know it's even more motivating because you know because there's more and more people that, that we're helping each year so that's great so where can people reach you if they want to learn more about your organizations or just get started in technology for good so if you're interested in the Good Tech Fest, uh, which is coming up May 21 through 23 here in Chicago, um, you can just go to goodtechfest.com. Um, and if you're interested in some of the other projects uh, that I work on, you can check out bigelephant.io, uh, which is the studio that I run. If you want to come out to Ruby for Good or join our Slack or links to our GitHub, it's just rubyforgood.org. I'm uh, Sean Marcia on Twitter. I usually tweet about these things or these events that we're having. And once all the details are hammered out for our Chicago-based one, I'll obviously be uh, mentioning that. Oh, I'm on Twitter at Means Andrew as well. So I spend a lot of time tweeting about nerdy tech and data for good stuff. Great. Well, thank you both for being on the show and giving us a, a chance to talk about tech for good. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tech Done Right is on the web at techdoneright.io and on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right and is also available wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is a production of TableXI, which is on the web at tablexi.com and on Twitter at tablexi. Tech Done Right is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter and edited by Mandy Moore, who is at the Ruby Rep on Twitter. If you like the show, tell a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, a pet, a boss, my boss, tell me, tell your social media network, tell the world. All of that would be very, very helpful. And a review on Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. <laughs>